And though I've weighed the benefits uh, and weighed the cost between sharing or, or not, um, I think an important thing that needs to be said this morning, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. I'm ashamed of a lot of things, however. As I look back, I'm ashamed of some of the things I've done and some of the things I've failed to do. I'm ashamed of seeing those who are hurting and yet passing by and looking the other way. Ashamed of the days I've wasted to laziness or gossip. Ashamed of the times of grace tested or failing to live to the God-given potential that he's placed upon our lives. Failure to give him our very best. Oh, there's a lot of things I look back and feel ashamed of. But I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm ashamed of my failure as a pastor. I'm ashamed at how we pastors have lost sight of the power of God's word and replaced it with our own. I'm ashamed of how we pastors validate our call more by the size of our seating capacity rather than the size of our sending capacity. I'm ashamed of how we determine our effectiveness by the applause of people rather than the applause of God. I'm ashamed at how we fear those who sit on the board and yet are bored with the one who sits on the throne. I'm ashamed of how we glory in crowds more than we glory in the cross. I'm ashamed at how so often we pastors can become masters at tickling the ears of men and yet tearing at the heart of God. I'm ashamed of the times when as a young pastor I wouldn't let kids into youth group because they didn't bring their Bible. I'm ashamed at how at times I've twisted and turned God's word to tell people how good they are rather than telling them how good God is. I'm ashamed at the times that as a young pastor, I mishandled God's word and spread the sin of religion rather than the beauty of relationship. I'm ashamed of my failure as a pastor. And those instances are too numerous to count. But though they are many, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm ashamed at my failure as a father today. I'm ashamed at how patient I can be with people I hardly know and yet lose my patience with those three little boys that love me the most. I'm ashamed at how we can pledge our lives to the company, yet walk away from the family. Ashamed of how willingly we give overtime to our jobs and yet tell our kids, not now, sweetheart. Daddy's too busy. I'm ashamed at the high standards that we hold up for our children, yet lower the bar for our own lives. Ashamed of how we teach our kids compassion for the poor and needy, and yet lavish them with a culture that knows only more and more. I'm ashamed of the times that I taught anger instead of teaching them love. I'm ashamed of my failures as a father this morning, and I know they are many. But I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm ashamed of my, of my failure as a husband. I'm ashamed at how easy 
I can shout, shut down, and stomp off when my wife needs me to stand with her most during those moments. I'm ashamed at how we as husbands will climb the highest mountain for our jobs, yet call it quits at the drop of a hat of one conflict in the home. I'm ashamed of the times that I was never late for a meeting, yet came home to dinner in the refrigerator and the kids already in bed. I'm ashamed that I have taken for granted the greatest gift God's ever given me long after congregations and churches are gone for me and I am old and dying in my bed there will be that woman beside me who says you're going to go to heaven it's going to be great Tom you were a good man and I'm ashamed of the times when I was less than what my wife needed me to be. But I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm ashamed of the church today at times. Sometimes we have a way of putting buildings before people. I'm ashamed of the way that we cling to tradition rather than cling to the voice of God. I'm ashamed of the way that we idolize messengers rather than the Messiah. I'm ashamed that the church has become in many ways like Pharisees, straining gnats and polishing tombstones as our country walks away from the best thing that ever happened to it, partly because of our bad example. I'm ashamed of the way that we desire for our church to be sanitized rather than sanctified. I'm ashamed of the grumbling, the complaining, the competing, and the petty bickering while the world tries to find its answers somewhere else. I'm ashamed of the way that we become incensed over broken things yet fail to see broken hearts. I'm ashamed of the way we bore our children to death in children's church with meaningless routines, powerless activities, and colorless dreams, and yet fail to inspire them with the message of salvation, the glory of the cross, the hope of a world to come. I'm ashamed of the hypocrisy so prevalent among people who place such burdens among others that they can't lift themselves. At times, I am ashamed of the church and my contribution in it. But I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus was shamed too. Interestingly enough, the people with the most shame, prostitutes, tax evaders, tax collectors, swindlers, cheats, thieves, murderers, drunks, often clung to Jesus. Those are the ones who cherished his time the most. And yet those with the least amount of shame, you know, good, upstanding religious folk, seem to sh try to shame Jesus the most. You know the type. The type that says, I can't believe he's doing that. I can't believe he said that. I can't believe he dresses like that. I can't believe he talked to a woman. 
So off they went to judge him, mock him, gossip about him, and they attempted to shame him. And then, then, they gave Rome a turn. And Rome tried to shame him in the worst way, crucifixion. Among affluent circles and social gatherings, crucifixion wasn't even spoke of. It was something that happened in those outer colonies of the Roman Empire, those rebellious Nubian farmers, those obstinate Jews, and those persistent Persians. They were the ones who were crucified. But close to home, where everything is happy and everything is Rome, crucifixion was but a conspiracy theory. It would be shameful and unthinkable for someone to align themselves with somebody who was crucified. And in the beginning... A man by the name of Saul, who would become Paul, was one of the first to do it. It's not explicitly said in the New Testament, but Saul was a member of the Jewish mafia. He was a hitman of hitmen. He murdered people. He drug them off, threw them in prison, and oversaw their stoning. But one day, he comes across Jesus on his way to Damascus. He goes from Saul to Paul, and this person he had persecuted now becomes his follower. And he writes in Romans chapter 1, on page 796, if you have one of the church Bibles. Romans chapter 1, page 796. He says, I'm so eager to preach to you who are in Rome. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. It is the power of salvation for those who believe. The power of God unto salvation for those who believe. If you want one, you want to flip ahead, we will go to eight, page 802 in a minute, but you can put your finger on page 796. Now, why would Paul even be tempted to be ashamed of the gospel. Why would he even have to write of it? Wouldn't there be an understanding? I and mean, we kind of have that understanding today. You know, why, why, why would Paul need to go through this motion of even saying, I don't need to be ashamed? Because in his day, it was everything to be ashamed of. Philosophy, religion, the best of life came from Rome, not Jerusalem. Jerusalem was nothing but a conquered kingdom. The Jews were nothing but conquered people. And besides, they already had a person they called the divine savior. They already had a person they called the son of God. His name was Caesar. So why in the world would you come preaching about a crucified Jesus from a conquered people coming from a conquered city? That is a lot to be ashamed about. And Paul knew it. Paul was a Roman citizen. He knew how the culture worked. He knew what they thought of Jews. He knew what they thought of these monotheistic weird people. He said, nevertheless, I come to the greatest city on earth unashamed because the gospel is the power of God. Rome, you're not the power of God. The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. You know why I put salvation in there? Do you know who was viewed as the great deliverer in the Roman Empire? Caesar. Caesar gave you bread. Caesar brought you peace. Caesar brought you safety. Caesar had doctors. Caesar was known as the great deliverer. 
this statement that Paul is saying is a direct dichotomy between Rome and Jesus. I'm not ashamed of the gospel for it. The emphasis is on the it. It is the power of God. It is the deliverer. Salvation is another, and deliverer is the same. You can interchange those words. It is the power. It is the deliverance. Not Caesar. For those who believe. You'd have to believe in it because after all, he wasn't physically there, but he was present in the church, in the preaching of them. When you skip down to Romans chapter 10, this is page 802, Paul says something that adds to the argument even further, beginning in chapter 10, verse 8. He says, the word is near you. The word of the gospel is near you. It's in your mouth. It's in your heart. You can feel it. You can feel it rising up. Earlier, he said, faith comes through hearing the gospel and through the preaching of it. He says, the word is near you. You can hear it. It's beginning to do stuff in here. You're not quite sure. You've got peer pressure on one way saying, forget all that stuff. But you've got something deep inside of you that says, it's true. The word is near you. It is in your mouth and it's in your heart. That is the word of faith we're proclaiming. What you're hearing and what you're feeling, God has already gone ahead and it's begun to do stuff in your heart. We're just here watering it and tilling it up. He says that if you believe, confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you're going to be saved. Again, you can interchange that word with delivered. You're going to be delivered. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified and with your mouth that you are confessed and saved. And then he adds this, as the scripture says, and, and if you hear nothing else this morning, hear this. Anyone who trusts in him will never be put to shame. I just went over a litany of things I'm ashamed of. I have things I'm ashamed of. And you know what? I'll continue to have those things. By no means to my dying breath will I ever reach perfection. But if I put my trust in him, I'll never be put to shame. And neither will you. I'm ashamed of many things. But I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen? Amen. Amen. So my point this morning is very, very, very quickly that Jesus is nothing to be ashamed of. Jesus is nothing to be ashamed of. Point number one, that who we are in church is who we are everywhere. I remember once I had met somebody in church. I went and visited them at their office, and when they introduced me, they mentioned nothing about church. Now, here's the problem. I had only known this man in church. I met him there. That's how we talked there. The first thing we ever did outside of church was when I went, went into his office and began to hang out with him. And a couple of his buddies came in. He begins to introduce me as this guy that played basketball with him and that we, had, you know, we went to this group together and that we'd known each other for a long time. And he's lying through his teeth. I'd never played basketball with him. I didn't know him for more than three months. And we met in church. But I wasn't an idiot. Here he is. He was, he was a big shot real estate agent. Everybody's in suits. And he didn't want to say the C word. 
I picked it up real quick. And I was so tempted. Oh, man, I was so tempted. <laughs> I was so tempted to <laughs> go up to one of those guys and say, have you found Jesus yet? <laughs> it was roaring in me. But I thought, you know what? I'll deal with that animal later. But my, my first point is who we are in church is who we need to be everywhere. I had a breakfast with a pastor one morning. He was telling me a story about when their church had done a renewal and they had people come at night for prayer and for um, you know, all sorts of things, healing. And they were praying from the microphone. They were praying loud. I mean, there's a lot of people being, a lot of new people coming in. A couple weeks later, he's having breakfast uh, with some of his ministry leaders. And one of the waitresses comes up and says, I remember you. You're the pastor of that church I went to a few weeks ago that was doing that prayer renewal. And the pastor goes, oh, yes, you know, it's great to see you. And she says, you know what? I'm going to be on my break in a few minutes. Do you mind uh, if, if you'll pray for me? And the pastor's kind of like, well, you know, sure. Right in the middle of Danny's here, but okay. And so she comes back on her break, and the pastor, you know, just kind of takes her hand and says, Lord Jesus, we pray for your blessing upon this young lady. Give her the strength to face this week, and we just ask that you'd cover her, and the blood of Jesus cover her. In Jesus' name, amen. Very safe, very courteous, almost scripted, right? And he lets go and, and says, it's, it was great to meet you. And she looks at him and says, no, pastor, I was, I was hoping you'd pray for me like you prayed in church the other night. Ooh. It had hit him. And when he told me the story, it hit me. Sometimes there's a way we'll pray in church because we feel all safe and we feel all like this is where it should be. Yet the church is not these four walls. It's not these four buildings. It's us. It's who we are. It's in us. We're not in it. It's in us. And so he says to his ministry leaders, scoot over. And when she sits down, he grabs her hand. (laughs) Jesus. I mean, he just starts going for it. And he said, man, I never felt more liberated in my life that I can be who I am outside of the church as well as inside the church. I'm obviously, you know, you need to avoid the extremes and the excessive thing. You know, don't go club your neighbor over with the Bible. But just being who we are here, being out there, shows that we're unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. Second thing, be honest with our failures. There are some things, I was honest about some of the things about the church. The church ain't perfect. The American church ain't perfect. But you know what? There's no church that's perfect. Church does not have perfection yet. We're trying to follow the Lord best we can. We're trying to hear his voice best we can. I've been in some churches. It's so, they're so religious, I couldn't stand a week in there. I've been in some other churches. It's so liberal, I wasn't quite sure, you know, what was going on. So, you know, we've got all sorts of different flavors. Also, The church is not perfect. I am not perfect. I will continue. I could preach this sermon 10 years from now, and I'd have more to add to that list of ways I blew it. We have to be honest that our lack of shame doesn't come by what we do, but by what Jesus has done. If people ever say, man, Tom, you are you're an animal. You're two seconds from the church. Yes, I am. Thank God I got something to save me. I am. I want, I mean, I could, if I told you, if I told you things that went into my mind, you'd go, whoa. I remember once I was baptizing someone. And we went down, 
And just for that split second, I had this thought of holding them under. Is that not, is that not sick? Is that not, I mean, I'm a pastor and I'm admitting this. Is that not the sickest thing? I did bring them back up, by the way. I looked at them and said, you ought to thank me for your life. <laughs> Don't thank Jesus, thank me. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Be honest. Be honest. That's, that's in me. That's there, you know? It's not about what I do, but what Jesus has done. Point number three. We better get moving here <laughs> before I start telling more stories. <laughs> Set the record straight. You know, the interesting thing about the devil he would have us think that his prime thing is to, you know, get us to sin and, uh, and to you know, possess us, your demon possessions, and get us all, you know. But I think the fact is the greatest tactic I see is the devil tries to get the whole world to see the failures in it and, and the times when the church blows it and to focus on them so that they won't see the answer being within the church. And he's doing a pretty good job of it. And I'm not going to, point number two, I'm not going to say for a moment, some of those failures aren't exactly real. They are. We have blown it at times. But our job is to take the spotlight off of us and to place it back on Jesus. Hey, we got some things to be ashamed for? Absolutely. Are there some times we walked in the flesh rather than walked in the spirit? You bet. But you know what? Don't look at me. Look at Jesus. He's the one I want to show you. Let's, let's, let's read the gospel together. Man, this is a man who loved people. This is a man who bled for people. This is a man who fed people. This is a man who, took in, who loved the unlovable, took in the unacceptable. This is the man who embraced women who were lonely. This is the man who had a following that was incredible. This is the man who preached the words of... Remember what the disciples said? When everybody was leaving Jesus, Jesus said, do you want to go to? They said, where else are we going to go? You have the words of life. The more we focus on us, it's easy to see the failures, easy to see where we went wrong. But the more we focus on Christ, you got to step back and go, you know what? Jesus is the real deal. If Jesus had never come, we could not have invented him. That's how good he is. And so we set the record straight. Hey, you want to look at people that blow it? You'll, You'll find churches full of it full of them. That's why we're there, because it's not about what we do, but about what Jesus has done. Amen? Amen. Number four, in light of everything I've said, we hold our head high, chin up, smile wide, and walk tall. Absolutely no reason to be ashamed that you say, I follow Jesus Christ. Following Jesus Christ is an awesome thing to say. For people who truly know the theology of Christianity, for people who truly know, yes, there are some dark spots. I'm not saying they're not. But when you really look at it, he's awesome. He's good. He's the best, the best out there and the strongest. You know, there's a faith out there that you don't know if you're going to make it to heaven unless you martyr yourself for it. How many of you are grateful that's not a requirement of Christianity? (laughs) <laughs> head high, chin up, smile wide, walk tall. One time we were on a mission trip. And I'd never done this before, but I always wanted to do it. I made up some t-shirts. 
Now, for someone who's never made up t-shirts, you should not let them run wild. Because I had like 50 different designs. You know, I had all this stuff, you know. First, I had this gothic cross just wrong here, you know. And, and I remember I said, you know, it looks more like a satanic shirt than a... I kind of agreed with them. So, you know, the next thing, I had all these things. And finally, I had this young lady submit a t-shirt design. And, and I now remember it. I didn't remember it first, so I now remember it. Uh, I think she, she must have got it from somewhere, because I, I think I've seen this before. But she said, if we meet and you forget me, you have lost nothing. But if you meet Jesus and forget him, you, you could lose everything. And... Uh, now, I remember it was just a very, I remember thinking to myself, I don't want to put words. I mean, half the people where we're going can't even read. But there was another reason why I was struggling with it a little. Man, you put something like that on your shirt, they're going to know, aren't they? They're, <laughs> did you hear that? Yeah. <laughs> they're going to know. There's no hiding behind it. She had three little crosses on it, you know. There's no hiding behind that shirt. And I remember thinking to myself, that's the shirt we got to wear. Not actually not for them, but for us. We need to walk proud with such a statement and such a cross on our shirt. Well, I had one kid who wouldn't wear it. He came up to me and said, man, Tom, I'm tired of being laughed at. I'm tired of being the, that Christian kid. You know, I'm tired of everybody thinking I'm a Bible thumper and a Bible this and a Bible that. Man, I just, I just want to go out and just be. Man, don't make me wear this shirt. And I, yeah, at first I kind of felt for him, you know, like, yeah, I mean, I know what it's like to endure in rejection, da 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 but, you know, and I kind of let it go, but then one of my leaders came up to me and was like, man, I don't know if you should not let this kid wear that shirt. And I'm like, you know what, it's bugging me too, but I got to come back with something better, because this kid was good. <laughs> and uh, as we were praying, I began to realize that the rejection of others had such a power over this kid, he wouldn't even wear a shirt that explained his unashamedness of Jesus. And I came back to him. I said, man, I want you to wear the shirt. But not so much for what it says, but for more importantly, so that you don't let people have power over you. That them looking at a shirt like that is something that you should be ashamed of. Man, we should put crosses all over our shirt. That's nothing to be ashamed of. Walk tall. Head high. Chin up. Jesus is nothing to be ashamed of. Yeah, are there some things in Christianity that have gone wrong? Sure. But Jesus is nothing to be ashamed of. And we can go out there to all of Bakersfield. Man, you know what? There is an awesome God named Jesus. He's got nothing but love and grace and forgiveness. And yeah, you know, he, he's, he's, he's got sometimes he'll discipline you too, but he disciplines you because he loves you. Amen? Amen. Amen. And then last but not least, make your freedom count. Make your freedom count. Spend it not in the failure of religion, but spend it in the freedom of faith. You ever think about the Apostle Peter? I think about him all the time because I want to know what it's like for a man like Peter to be so close to Jesus, closer than you and I will ever be this side of heaven. He walked with him. He talked with him. He was part of the inner circle. He saw him transfigured on that mountain. He saw some incredible things. He knew that God's power was just bursting out of Jesus. And yet at Jesus' trial, 
when Jesus is being tried for, for his life. You know what Peter says? I don't even know him. Maybe some of us have been in that situation. It's coming at you. People are making fun of you. I was one of those people. When I was in high school, I feel kind of like a Saul Paul thing because I used to ridicule the Christians so there's no tomorrow. Now I remember when I became a Christian going into youth group, that was hard for about six months because I, I, you know, I was the one, I was one of the people who did, who made people feel bad like this. And I was somebody on the other side. So I can identify with Peter a little bit. When he looks in that little girl's eyes and says, I don't even know the man. He's not even at Jesus' crucifixion. He's, a, he's, he's hiding in some corner crying. But years later, years later, Peter would write something. And when he wrote it, he was thinking of the moment when he abandoned Christ. And this is what he wrote in 1 Peter chapter 2. He says, there's a stone laid in Zion. The stone of Jesus is Jesus, Zion is Israel. A chosen and precious cornerstone. And then he writes this. The one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. And that offer is for all of us. Place your trust in Jesus. And in this life and the next, you will have nothing to be ashamed of. Bow your heads with me. Worship team, come forward. Before we close our service this morning, we'll finish with a song, but I also wanted to just give an opportunity. It's important to give opportunity whenever we can to give opportunity for you to place that trust in Jesus. Some of you may have placed that trust years ago and you need to say it fresh again. Others of you, you may be, you may have been checking out Jesus for a long time, just like I did. And there just comes that moment where you know you got to cross the faith line. You got to cross the line, come over, come over into faith in Christ and make that decision for yourself because nobody can make it for you. I invite you, if that's your intent, to just pray this with me today. You can pray it under your breath. You can shout it out. You can have it in your heart. But believe it as you pray it. Just say, Lord Jesus, I invite you into my heart. I repent of my mistakes and my sins. I make you my Lord my deliverer, and I commit to following you for the rest of my days. And I may have shame in what I've done or in what I do, but I'm not ashamed of you or what you've done for me. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Now stand with me. The response to Jesus is always two things. Thank you and praise you. So, uh, Let's all say thank you. Thank you. And now let's praise. Amen? Amen.
Sometimes I feels like I'm watching from the outside and sometimes it feels like I'm breathing but am I alive? I won't keep searching for answers that aren't here to find All I know is I'm not home yet this is not where I belong Take this world and give me Jesus This is not where I belong Come falling down on me And when I'm lost in the current Raging sea, I have this blessed assurance holding me. All I know is I'm not home yet. This is not where I belong. Take this world and give me Jesus. This is not where I belong. I know is I'm not home yet. This is not where I belong. Take this world and give me Jesus. This is not where I belong. When the earth shakes, I want to be found in you. When the lights fade, I want to be found in you. And all I know is I'm not home yet this is not where I belong take this world and give me Jesus this is not where I belong all I know is I'm not home yet this is not where I belong take this world and give Jesus, this is not where I belong, where I belong, where I belong, where I belong, come on, let's lift it up. Up a shout of praise. Now may the Lord bless you and keep you. May his face shine upon you. May the Lord be gracious to you this week and grant you perfect peace. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have a great Sunday.